Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hi everybody, my name is Eric Garneau, and this is part one of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories August podcast, featuring the theme Fingers Crossed. This month, we partnered up with Giant Bomb News Editor Patrick Klepek, who you might remember guested on our C2E2 bonus episode, to get a fantastic list of storytellers together to reflect on the theme. This time out, we've got a double shot of Andrews, that's Bentley and Lello, as well as local comedian Jennifer Baird, podcast host and professional gamer James D'Amato, good friend Adam Brakeman, and a team-up of Chris Crotwell and Shelby Mongan, plus the usual music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman. This is a loaded and great episode, and we really hope you enjoy it. We had a ton of fun putting it together. And thank you, Patrick Klepek, for your assistance in making the night fantastic. So there's so much exciting stuff coming up for the Nerdalogs that I hardly know where to begin. So uh, I'll just try chronologically. Starting with Sunday, August 17th, our next Your Stories recording, which has the theme Bottoms Up, and guest stars some of the amazing people behind Geek Bar Chicago, opening very, very soon. Uh, Saturday, August 23rd, is our Jangleheart Circus Show, featuring brand new Nerdalog sketch material. You heard about Jangleheart on last month's podcast. Uh, Saturday, August 30th, is a thing we're doing in Seattle that we will say more about shortly. So keep your eyes on our website, which of course is www.nerdalogs.com, or on our Facebook page for more info on all of these shows. It's definitely a big month for the nerds. Lastly, don't forget to listen to the other podcasts in the Nerdalogs family, including the Nerdalogcast, MBSing with Mary Beth Smith, and Talking Games with Tim and Clayton. We're giving you just like so much content, guys, like so much content. Just listen. Just just feed us by listening. Like, feed us metaphorically, feed our spirit, whatever. Yeah. Thanks as always for listening, and we will see you soon. I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but. The best for you both. An older version of Faye. Is she perverted like me? Would she go down on you in a theater? Would she speak eloquently? And would she have your baby? I'm sure she'd make a really excellent mother. Cause the love that you gave it with me wasn't able to make it enough for you to be open wide.
I'm not quite as well. I thought you should know. Did you forget about me, Mr. Duplicity? I hate to bug you in the middle of dinner. It was a slap in the face. How quickly I was replaced. And now you're thinking of me when you fuck her. Cause I thought that you gave that with me was an evil. I'm making enough for you to be open wide. That's it. <laughs> yeah, anyone can do an Alanis more set impression if they can make this sound. Uh, like that's, <laughs> that's it. Everything else is just filler. So, uh, so here's a song that Dwight and I recorded a long time ago, uh, back when we were at the upstairs gallery. This was like two years ago, but Claire wasn't on it, and she should have been. Uh, so we're gonna right some wrongs right now. Here's another artist who kind of transitioned from like. From an Atlantis regular, type. Yeah, yeah, there from you go. From an Atlantis type to her own new brand of thing. It's <laughs> like we're going... Her own spooky thing. I mean... <laughs> Bye! <laughs> you might, that's the show. Bye! <laughs> you might even say that this artist was uh, truly born this way. No. no. You no. wouldn't say that artist. Right. <laughs> anyway. No. <laughs> no, I gotta go. Why don't we let her sit back there? <laughs> Alright, so I'm gonna play some Bruce Springsteen songs. <laughs> well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night. Alright. <laughs> 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 
they doing, Texas, please? Hey! Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. I love it. Love came into fruition, play the cards with space to start. And after he's been hooked up, play the one that's on his heart. Oh, 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 I'll get him hard, show him what I stories, but we always like to start the night out with someone kind of connected to the Nerdalog, someone who's who's done it before, you know, to kind of show us all how, how it goes. So this fellow, Nerdalog's Emeritus, member of Rabbit Rabbit, great guy, Andrew Bentley. Yay! Hi, everybody. Um, it's really good to be back, first of all. Uh, I haven't been here in like eight months, uh, which was way, way longer than I intended to not be here. Uh, but the problem is that long, every, every month I waited, I felt like more and more pressure built up to come back with like something really great and really well written. Um, 
And every time I kind of missed that, the, uh, I was like, ah, I'll just do it next month. Um, and finally that became almost insurmountable, so I decided to just come in and off the cuff this evening. I know. Alright, I'm... <laughs> Who said boo? <laughs> the... <laughs> Alright. Uh, okay, so without further ado, um... With a, I interpreted actually fingers crossed less as a, a luck and more like the sign for lying. Um, my personal relationship with truth has always been kind of a, a complicated one. Um, I, I, I hate lies. I hate liars. I hate lying. Sometimes. <laughs> the, for me, I feel like all kids have kind of the same relationship with truth, which is a near sociopathic one, um, where, like, it's not so much about any absolute value of the truth, it's more about self-preservation. I, mean, I feel like there's... Uh, it's, it's, it's more of, like, a, a theoretical construct for kids um, than it is, like, actually, like, a discrete object. It's more like... You know, like like dinosaurs or taxes or like naked kissing. This is like one of those one of those concepts that, that you hear about, and you're like, oh yeah, okay, sure, that'll become relevant eventually somewhere down the line. Um, I feel like as as a kid, at least you know, for me, and I think for most kids, it's kind of like there's a flow chart in your brain uh, for basically everything you say up until the age of ten, which is just like, will this get me in trouble? No? Okay. <laughs> yes, don't say it. And for some of us, there's like there's like an additional little line on that, which is like, but is it funny? <laughs> and then we spend a lot of time in detention. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> there was there was a moment where my my take on that changed, and it had to do a lot with my dad uh, because my dad well, was. It was, I mean, I guess not easy, but it was as easy as with most to, to get my dad angry. I mean, I did plenty of things to get my dad angry. Like, I peed in a super soaker, and <laughs> when I ran out of water and used that. Uh, like, that got my dad angry, but he got over. And I, I realized at some point in my life, the only thing that really seemed to hurt my dad was when I lied to him. Uh, and, and as I grew up, I think I came to understand why that was... Uh, which is, and it's something we don't really seem to engage with much when we, we talk about lying. I mean, we, it obviously it's, it's disrespectful, you know, it's manipulative, it, it's frustrating to, to labor under misinformation, but it's also very weirdly insidious in an almost parasitic way, you know, how a lie it perverts, like, the very mechanism by which you perceive reality, um, you know, it alienates you from your peers who are laboring under, you know, different apprehensions. Uh, and it kind of subverts your own perception for the cause of the person doing it. And it can be a very violating thing in a way we don't really appreciate. Uh, and I think that was something that my, my dad was responding to. And so... That was one thing he drove into my head, you know, over and over and over again. Like, he loved me with all of my many faults, but the one thing he could not stand was me lying about things. And so eventually, I internalized that, and I became basically 
incapable of lying to people. Um, the both good and bad. Because I think saying there's an absolute truth doesn't necessarily imply any sort of positive or negative value judgment on that truth. I think we, we all agree that there's times when it's acceptable to lie. I mean, we, we call them you know, white lies or job interviews <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Um, like, I don't think, I don't think, you know, Oscar Schindler would be more fondly remembered as uh, that really honest Nazi with second thoughts that we found buried in a ditch in 1945. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think it's, it's okay to lie sometimes. As a society, we've kind of accepted that there are times it's appropriate, it's, it's better to lie, but I still have trouble with that. And in theater especially, that can be a... It can be really hard not to be able to say the simple phrase, hey, really good show, I enjoyed that. <laughs> and instead you find yourself going, oh man, the sound design on that was crazy. <laughs> Oh, gosh, wow. <laughs> um, and so I wish I was better at that. Now, I said I hate lying sometimes because there's there's a catch to that. I kind of... Most people seem to separate out their ability to lie by, you know, good lie, bad lie. Um, I've kind of separated out by, do I know this person? I, if I know someone, if I, I even if I've met the person face to face, if I know their name, I can't. I really, I can't get it out. I can't lie to them. If they're a stranger, I will lie with an unsurpassed glee, <laughs> like, unseen outside of like Caligula and Bacchanalia. Like <laughs> the, I, I will lie for the. Dumbest, simplest reason. I, I will lie because it will make a conversation like 10 seconds shorter. They'd be like, oh, did you see that? Oh, no, I've never heard of that. Oh, okay, never mind. The <laughs> Which is maybe not a good instinct to have. But that's how I've, I've chosen to parse these things out. Um, and I think part of that is due to a... A few really bad experiences, and I want to kind of end this by talking about one of those in particular. Um, when I was in 11th grade, uh, my friend Mike Newman uh, invited me over uh, New Year's Eve to come down with him and his family to their beach house uh, in North Carolina, um, which seemed like an, you know, an okay, fun thing. And of course, I'm, you know, 11th grade, I hear beach house, and I seem like, oh, yeah, cool, and we'll be like, you know, girls and, you know, parties and everything. Well, it's, no, it's, it's the beach in North Carolina in January. <laughs> so there's, there's no one. It was me and Mike and his mom and his mom's boyfriend. Uh, and so come New Year's Eve, we are playing Trivial Pursuit, uh, inside. Um, and midnight rolls around, uh, and his, his mom and his mom's boyfriend, you know, go off and like, they, they pour themselves some champagne and they have a toast and they go off to the window to like look out and share a kiss and Mike and I are just kind of hanging out. And my, my parents were cool about, you know, giving me like small amounts of alcohol. It was part of their policy that I would, you know, I would drink a little bit before college and then I wouldn't freak out when I got to college. So I've had champagne before and I'm kind of bummed out. So I'm like, eh, and I reach over and maybe a bad decision. I take 
you know, some of the flute of champagne and have a sip. I'm like, oh, happy New Year's to me, and put it down. And she turns around right as I'm, I'm putting down this glass. And she's like, I'm, did you just have some of my champagne? And without thinking, I go, oh, no, I was just, I was going for this Trivial Pursuit piece. I was just moving the glass out of the way. Because my mind was like, oh, you know, no, harmless lie, whatever. It'll make this easier. Like, don't have to have this conversation. Um, and she looks at me suspiciously and she goes, Mike? And Mike goes, oh, no, he, he didn't. It was fine. She goes, Mike Franet. And my reaction was probably what most of your reaction is, which is, oh, that's a, that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> like, fran it to you as well. But the, Mike's response is, he, like, just close his eyes and go, Mom, don't do this. And she's like, Mike, fran it. And I, I'll fill you in. I quickly learned over the course of the ensuing like two-hour lecture I received that Franet was code word in the Newman family for you have to tell the truth. And just as I had my own sort of concept of you know truth and lie and when it's okay to lie, so did the Newman family. And one of those is they had a code word for when this is vitally important. Now, was it vitally important that she knew whether I had some of that champagne? Maybe not. But this was the way Mike was raised, and he bought into this, so reluctantly he admitted to his mom that, yes, I had some of the champagne. And she proceeded to lecture me for a good two hours on a variety of topics. The Trivial Pursuit game was thrown well to the, the side. <laughs> that was over. Um... And this only ended when, finally, out of complete bewilderment, uh, I, after, you know, a good two hours of this, not seeing any end to it, I was like, okay, let's see if you can make yourself cry, and maybe that'll stop this. <laughs> and so, for the first and last only time in my life, uh, as a 16-year-old boy, uh, I made myself cry so Mike Newman's mom would stop yelling at me. <laughs> Which, while dishonest, <laughs> I like to think, <laughs> falls under that same category of white lies. <laughs> and... Person person, we may all have our our different opinions on what falls under that category. Um, and see, if I'd written this, I would have a really great wrap-up right about now. <laughs> the, uh... Fran it. Fran it, man. Fran it. <laughs> no, uh, but I will, I'll simply end that uh, it's really great to be back. I'm glad to see uh, a full house here. Uh... And thank you for welcoming me back and letting me get on. We're going to call you Andrew Off the Cuff Bentley.
The things that you okay, the things that you come up with not prepared, man. It, uh, it's 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 good. Uh, sometimes I find myself like genuinely complimenting like a show I've seen by saying, "Oh man, the lighting design was really good," and it feels like disingenuous. It feels like I'm saying the rest of the show was shitty. Like sometimes I'm not, but usually I am. That's true. That's a pretty solid lie. So we're gonna go from one Andrew to another. Uh, Chris and Kevin mentioned that Patrick Kleibig brought some friends tonight. One of those friends is Mr. Andrew Lello. This is a story about revenge, and uh, but it's it's not a traditional revenge story because maybe some of you are in this with me. Sometimes you try to get revenge on someone, and then you think, "Oh shit, maybe I took too much revenge," <laughs> and and I should have I should have been a little bit more careful with this person's feelings, and that's what happened in this case. But just so that I can kind of justify why I wanted to get revenge on this human being. I'm going to tell you a few things that he did to, to make me mad over the years. This is a very good friend of mine. Um, a person who I've known since, like, peewee soccer. T- little itty-bitty times. And uh, as we grew up, we had all kinds of misadventures together. Um, and uh, he, he fancies himself a, a poet and a musician and uh, a, a philosophical thinker and uh a, a very wonderful ladies man and uh and and he's a troublemaker in many ways but um as as uh our friendship moved into the drink alcohol years he started to his misadventures started to affect my life in some ways um he peed in my oven because uh everybody pees and uh he uh, once brought home a 30 years his senior uh, mobility scooter riding uh, open forehead sore having woman who he met at 7-Eleven at 3 o'clock in the morning with the intention of sleeping with her because everyone is beautiful in their own way. Um, and uh, anyway, yeah, he, we'll call him Bill. Uh, to protect his innocence. Not that there's really any left at this point, but, uh, Bill, Bill, um, came to visit me at college, uh, in, in the winter, and it was, uh, it was during the Winter Olympics. Um, he just showed up one day, I think it was like a Friday, and, uh, the, the weekend turned into a week, and this week is infamously known as Weekend Week among my friends and I, because when Bill came for Weekend Week, he left a lot of havoc in his wake. Um, basically, weekend week was a succession of Bill drinking uh, our alcohol, and then, of course, Bill is penniless, so Bill required money to get more alcohol. And I can't say no to Bill because he always does funny things, so I would uh, enable him. And, uh, you know, little things from coming home from class to, uh, and finding him in his underwear with, like, 12 beer bottles in front of him on the table like laughing gleefully at the women's downhill ski competitors as they crashed terribly um, to to uh, being out at a bar and asking if he could have money to buy a drink and then seeing him uh, propositioning women with the drink that he supposedly was buying for himself um, and presumably telling them about how big his wiener was. Uh, anyway... 
you know, and he wanted to go to Pizza Hut every day, and <laughs> he was just a he was just a real pain in my neck. Anyway, uh, one night we were going to go to a party. I, I went to school at U of I, and uh, U of I is uh, it sort of straddles two neighboring towns, Champaign and Urbana, and we were going to walk in, as I mentioned, the winter time to a party in Urbana. PJ was already fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I'm just gonna drop the bill pretense at this point. Um, uh, wow. Uh, Alright, um, so we decided we were gonna walk to Urbana, uh, to this party, and PJ was pretty sauced at this point, and so it was a long walk through pretty bitter cold, and we were nearly there, and... PJ just suddenly says, oh, how close are we to home? <laughs> and we were just like, what are you talking about? We're going to a party. And he just said, oh, no, I can't go to a party at all. I'm way too drunk. Uh, I have to go home right now. And, you know, we couldn't just let him go home. He actually tried to call uh, American United, the cab company in Chicago, for a ride. <laughs> um, but that wasn't going to happen. Uh, so we pretty much we pretty much realized we were going to have to take him home and just miss out on the party. And uh, he continued to just be more and more belligerent and obnoxious the entire way home. Uh, and when we finally got him to the apartment, he just passed out face down on the couch. And uh, I looked at my roommate, and we both just sort of knew that PJ had to feel the righteous hand of God. <laughs> So we got a roll of electrical tape, and uh, we approached his sleeping form, and he, he PJ is, uh, honestly, a video game company could study him when he's hammered and blacked out, because ragdoll physics is really basically what he's all about uh, at that point. Um, and we kind of lifted his arms one at a time, and we taped... Uh, a baseball bat to one of his hands. Uh, a baseball bat that had um, Bad Motherfucker written on it in Magic Marker. Uh, and um, we taped to his other hand a three-foot diameter exercise ball. Uh, and uh, we thought it was really funny, um, him laying there on the couch like that. So uh, I got my camera and started filming him because he was kind of muttering in his sleep. Um, and like making like satisfied noises, which was really funny, but then the the happy sounds started to turn to angry sounds, and he started to grit his teeth and he started to wince his face in his sleep, and he started going cocksucker and stuff like that. So then we started to worry that maybe we had taped his hands too tightly, and maybe his circulation was being cut off. So. We went into the other room, and we could hear him getting more and more angry in his sleep in the other room. And I, and my friend and I had a pair of scissors, and we were sort of hot potatoing the scissors. You go cut him free. No, no, you do it. But, like, we were both afraid, and then we heard this tremendous crash from the other room. So we both kind of tiptoed around the corner into the room, and there stood PJ, and he had somehow kicked over the table he was awake <laughs> he kicked over the table the exercise ball was gone from his hand and it, his arm he looked like a fucking scarecrow or something standing there just bleary eyed like he looked like shit 
and there's just tape hanging from one of his hands, and the baseball bat's still taped to his other hand, and he's just looking at me. And my roommate has, has retreated back to the other room, and I'm just standing there facing him, and PJ in a guttural, like, just woken up and just shit-faced voice just says to me, do you see this? <laughs> and I didn't say anything, and he says, do you see this shit? And I, and I said, yeah. And then he very slowly turned and faced the door to the apartment, and then slowly turned back toward me, and then in a whisper said, I didn't do this. <laughs> And in the blink of an eye, I transformed my face to one of shock and outrage and went over to help him dismantle the tape from his hands. You know, of course, like, the good friend, like, there'd been a home invasion where someone had just taped him up and, and put him back to sleep and, uh, and, you know, took the tape bundle outside and threw it away in the dumpster, like, three blocks away, and then went home and went to sleep and just had my fingers crossed that he wouldn't remember anything. And then uh, the next morning, uh, I woke up, and I, I didn't really know what to think. Uh, I heard a pounding at my door, and I was just like, oh, shit, this could be uh, a big problem. But it, he just wanted to go to Pizza Hut. <laughs> and, and so he never found out what happened to his hands. Well, I didn't remember it. But I do have the video still. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, Thank you, Andrew. Uh, I went to U of I too. Did you go to the Pizza Hut on Green? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shitty Pizza Hut. <laughs> Coming up next, uh, second time at your stories. Happy to have her back, Miss Jennifer Baird. Yeah! Well, like at first. Um, when I think of cross your fingers, I thought of like when I was a little kid, you know, to get yourself out of lying like, oh, yes, mom and dad, I'll behave on that road trip. No, I won't hit my sister. But then as you grow up and things evolve, that transitioned for me, especially when I moved here to Chicago and realized the city is full of cross your finger moments and maybe opportunities that I don't think I would get anywhere else. And I'm at two of those moments right now in my life. One, I'm hoping to go back to school to get my master's degree. And second, I am writing a one-act play. Now, first, going back to school, why? I thought I was done with this. No, no learning, bad. And, and second, does anyone know how to write a play? Yeah, cool, neither do I. <laughs> Both of these things are things I never thought I would be doing. And it's not because I didn't think I could. I just didn't really give it much thought. But, oddly enough, this past year, I, I literally woke up one morning as 2014 was starting and went, I'm going to write a play. I have no idea how in the hell I'm going to do this, but I'm going to write one. And... I had a scene from a class that I had written and thought, okay, let's turn this into a play. I've read a play, I've seen them, I've never written one, so let's see what happens. And 
lo and behold, just by having that decision made and then opening my mouth and asking people, hey, I have this idea here. You want to work with me? And now I'm meeting once a week with a writing partner. So in six months, yeah, <laughs> keep, keep your eyes peeled, people. And then going back to school, that, that that's interesting because that's what brought me to Chicago in the first place is I came back here to get my second degree. Of course, a degree that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm doing now, which is usually how that works. And lo and behold, after two years of job hunting and getting nowhere, I realized going back to school is the solution to my problem. <laughs> I, yeah. And again, there's the no, no school, no learning and, and cost. And ah, but then the more I dive into it, the more I'm like, this might be kind of cool. Then I can walk around telling people I have a master's. <laughs> so, you know, thanks to this city and, and, and life and this kind of looking like a path of which way you can take, take it. You, you never know where it might lead. So keep your fingers crossed for me. What are you going to study, if I may ask? Um, it is the new digital uh, media arts at Paul University. Oh. So I'm going to learn me some technology stuff. That sounds really cool. Shelby, you went to DePaul. Yeah, I did. Thumbs up. Demons, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the mascot. Yeah. <laughs> Still a Christian. Still a Christian. That's really weird. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, uh, I'll tell you the history later. Please do. For now, uh, coming to the stage, uh, he hosts the One Shot Podcast for Peaches and Hot Sauce. He's a great dude who, I don't know if he's going to talk about a game he's working on, but uh, maybe he should plug it. James D'Amato. <laughs> okay, it seems like we're all sitting down tonight. Normally I perform standing up, so you can do it's different. Yeah, but I don't want to break the trend, you know. You guys seem real like you would exclude me and bully me. Alright, uh, you can probably discern a lot about my personality based on how I misunderstood the uh, fingers crossed idiom when I was a kid. Uh, I don't fully remember the circumstances, but when I was about five, uh, my mother explained to me what vampires were. Uh, now, I could tell this was a crucially important piece of information, despite the fact that she seemed to half-remember what she was telling me. <laughs> so, a vampire is a type of bad guy? <laughs> yes. And what do they look like? Well, they wear long black capes. Like Batman. <laughs> uh, my mother paused for a minute. Actually, yes, a lot like Batman. <laughs> but they're bad guys. Five-year-olds have to synthesize a lot of information, and the idea of a bad guy being allowed to wear a cape really didn't gel with my understanding of how the garment worked. <laughs> well, they also have really pale skin, like the Joker. Uh, uh, vampires really don't have anything to do with Batman, James. <laughs> They're monsters who bite you and suck your blood. And they can turn into bats, and they can turn you into a vampire if they bite you. Well, I don't want to be a vampire. And sensing my fear, my mother told me, 
It's okay. They're afraid of crosses. What if I don't have a cross? She said, you can always do this and make a cross with your fingers. But you don't have to worry about that, James, because vampires aren't real. Now, it, is, it took me an embarrassingly long time before I learned that when people said fingers crossed, they were looking for luck, not warding off the undead. <laughs> <laughs> but the usage is bizarrely supportive of my delusion. <laughs> for example, traffic now is terrible. Fingers crossed we should be able to make it home in time. Obviously, traffic is bad enough. The last thing you want is to be waylaid by a vampire attack. (laughs) I can't find my passport. I haven't looked through the drawers yet, though. Fingers crossed I'll find it there. Yeah, I can't imagine an atmosphere less conducive to finding things than a life-or-death struggle with the Nosferatu. (laughs) I've been interviewing all over. Fingers crossed one of them will turn into a job. Okay, this one is a little bit harder to justify, but I can't imagine anyone wanting an interview with a vampire. (laughs) We're still going. I'm not going out on the pun. But sadly, we don't live in a reality where everyone is in near constant vigil against vampires, which is really a shame because my mom was wrong about one thing when she taught me about vampires. They are real. And they are everywhere. See, the problem with vampires is they're seductive. They offer you something that you think you want, and they don't look like monsters. My first encounter with the vampires when I moved to Chicago. The only job that I could find in the city at the time, because you'll remember, like now, the economy was pretty terrible, was to be a street canvasser for a major gay rights organization that shall remain nameless. Canvassing is just as awful as you imagine it to be. You know you know how uncomfortable it is to be canvassed. It is just as bad on the other side. Uh, on top of that, you're outside in Chicago, which is a hospitable human habitat maybe two months out of the year. Uh, and due to the hotly contested nature of my chosen cause, I got slurs and hateful asides hurled at me at least once a day. I actually had my life threatened so many times working that job that the significance of an event like that lost all meaning. Uh, Now, I could endure it because at first I was representing a cause that I truly believed in. And that kept me warm, you know. But when winter came, it brought in a new canvassing director. Uh, And he was the kind of corporate alpha male asshole who you thought you would never run into doing nonprofit work. I had I actually had a meeting to explain to my boss why there were some days where I was only doubling quota. Uh, horrible man. Uh, and I would come home every day physically and emotionally drained. And some days I couldn't bring myself to speak. This obviously put a tremendous amount of strain on my relationships, as well as my fledgling comedy career. And although comedians are supposed to suffer, suffering is only really useful in retrospect. You need to have the experience to write jokes, but you also have to have the energy to tell them. So I couldn't help it. All I could do was come home and sit on the couch and stare until it was time for me to go to bed and have nightmares about how my horrible job was. And one day, my boss pulled me into one of his meetings and asked me why I pulled a team of new canvassers off the street when the temperature dropped below nine. 
The answer, obviously, is that it is illegal for people to be out there when it is 10 degrees. Uh, he said to me this, You know, these newbie canvassers aren't going to make it, so uh, we have to get what we can out of them while they're around. So I put in my two weeks after that. I was working a job where I was literally using people for what they were worth and then throwing them away just to survive. And I didn't quit when I had a new job lined up like I wanted. I quit at a time that meant I had to use my savings just to make rent, and I didn't eat as much because I didn't want to be a fucking vampire. In creative fields, there's no real defined path for success or even a stable life. You just sort of have to make it up as you go. Like the general consensus in the improv sketch community is that you work for free until somebody's willing to pay you a pittance. And then you get really excited about that. Uh, that is probably one of the worst career ideas imaginable. Um, but you're probably going to end up doing something that you hate. And it's going to take stuff from you every day. Until you get to do what you want to do for the rest of your life, somebody is going to be draining your life force from you. So my advice to people who are in similar situation like myself is keep your fingers crossed. Thank you, James. That was fantastic. All that I have to add to that is that I don't know that you'd have to look very hard to find that Batman and vampires do have something yeah, oh to yeah, do with absolutely. each other. <laughs> I wasn't going to call my mom out. Fair. totally wrong about that. Yeah. Come on, Mom. All right, guys. Coming up next to the stage, he is a newcomer to your stories. Let's all welcome him with open arms. He's a good friend of mine. We like to talk about comics and music. This is Adam Brickman. I have seen what's possible in rock and roll, and it's called Gonzo. <laughs> Gonzo is an album by a band named Foxy Shazam, made yeah. famous by their thunderous live show. These guys were mostly known for making arena rock songs mixed with puns and rock criticism. Their most commercially known song is featured on the video game NHL 13 and is called I Like It. It's a song about black women with great ass sets. Uh. <laughs> I've never seen a concert that has affected me as much as their show at Lincoln Hall on July 21st. I knew what to expect from the show. I'm pretty crazy when it comes to concerts now, where I find out what the set list of the band is and then listen to it endlessly. Huh. Foxy Shazam was going to play their new album, Gonzo, front to back. Gonzo was released for free on the internet by the band. The backstory is that they recorded it in one day at Steve Albini's studio in Chicago. If you don't know who Steve Albini is, you can thank him for In Utero. Like in utero, at first I was highly disappointed. <laughs> was. Gonzo didn't make any sense to me. It was a huge departure from their bombastic style that the Foxy had uh, perfected on their previous albums. I read an interview and after interview with the band about the album, and it still didn't make any sense. That all changed when I saw them live. I am what you call a connoisseur of live music. I've seen big-name bands at their best, and I've seen CeeLo Green at his worst. <laughs> Seriously, never see CeeLo Green live. It's awful. I have seen, but really, CeeLo never finished a song, okay? He would play up to a bridge, and they would just kind of stop playing, and then just sort of fade off. I would like to think that he was drunk or on drugs, but I'm not confident CeeLo is cool enough to be on drugs for any show. <laughs> 
any hoozle. I've seen the Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl came out in the audience and was less than arm's length away from me. And I thought this was going to be my greatest live experience ever. And it's not even close to what Gonzo was. It took me about four songs to figure out that Gonzo's story about the band's career. The promise their studio made that they would be the next big thing in rock and roll. And then the decision to leave the record company behind and do everything on their own. Originally, my idea for Your Stories was to go through the whole album explaining what the songs actually mean, at least what I thought they mean, and how I could relate to them. Then this would all tie together with YouTube's supposed new policy of independent bands having to register their music service in order to appear on YouTube. Instead, this is a confession of that, uh, that that show and their music inspired from me. The last three songs on Gonzo are all directed towards the audience. I'm going to talk about two songs. Don't Give In has a catchy beat and nice builds and a chorus to offset the more somber tones of the verse. Here are some of the lyrics. But the devil said, give up, give up, give up, don't give in. Cut your umbilical cord and stand on your feet. One of the things that Eric, the lead singer, has mentioned in interviews is that his relationship with his father deeply impacted this record. That his father is not the man he remembers. I don't talk much about my relationship with my father. Shannon, my girlfriend, didn't even know the reason why my parents divorced until probably two or three years into our relationship. It's something that I don't like to think about. and something that I was told at a young age not to talk about. It's definitely the one of the reasons that I'm really a private person. It's something I don't want to remember. I like to remember the times when we would sit in the basement of our house when my parents were still together. I like remembering times when I cried when the Ultimate Warrior beat Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. It was absolutely devastating. <laughs> oh, the time we watched It and my dad crawled his fingers on my back like a spider to scare me. I don't like to remember how afraid of him I was. My mother once told me at their couples counseling, the counselor said that my dad has what she called selective memory loss. He did, doesn't remember any of the times that he hit me. He doesn't remember any of the belt beatings or slaps across the face. He doesn't remember throwing chairs because my mother accidentally gave him the wrong address for our first baseball practice. I wish that was true. He does remember. The only problem is, is that he only remembers them as good times. This has bothered me in the past, but it's never really anything that really troubled me until about five uh, months ago or so. My dad was relaying a story to my brother-in-law. This was in response to my brother-in-law roughhousing with my nephews. He regaled him with a story about how one day he was playing monster with me, whatever the fuck that is. The only times I can remember playing with my dad was for baseball practice and when we would fake wrestle. We would watch movies, and that's pretty much it. Monster, the movie, is probably a good analogy for what happened, though. His version of the story is this. We were playing a game called Monster. I got scared and started to cry, which is just bullshit. This is what really happened that day. I remember arguing with my mom about something. In retrospect, it was probably something stupid or I was being spoiled. My mother was really good or bad, depending on how you look at it, at spoiling us. I was walking up the stairs to my bedroom. We used to live in a swanky home in a more expensive neighborhood, so it was closer to two flights of stairs. About halfway up the stairs, my dad crosses my path and says, What is this, a little crybaby? I responded with shut up or something to that like, and then slap slash uh, punched him in the arm. One beat in time that felt like an eternity. What had I just done? My father creaks his head around and to me seems beat red. A usual telling sign of his anger. He says, now you're going to get it. I bolt from my bedroom, cower in the corner, and repeatedly say, please don't hit me, please don't hurt me. 
He then realizes that his apparent game that he wanted to play was not going to happen today. He hugs me and calmly says, I'm not going to hurt you. I would never hurt you. Selective memory loss. So what does that have any of this have to do with Foxy Shazam? Well, the day after the concert, Shannon asked me why I was so sad. It was more than sadness. It was more like a depressive state. We were at Pride Fest watching Dot Dot Dot's bassist new band called Catfight. They were playing a raucous version of My Own Worst Enemy by Lit, and I started to cry to a song about a guy getting kicked out of his girlfriend's place because he is his own worst enemy. I mean, how tragic is that? I was crying to a song by a band whose gimmick was to dress like the T-Birds in Greece 2 when they go bowling. <laughs> As I, as I said, this was Pride Fest. I was surrounded by bears and chains, and is that somebody smoking weed over there? Whatever. The only words I could use to describe it is Shannon, is that Foxy Shazam made me feel artistically inadequate. Now let's go back to the lyrics that I mentioned earlier. But the devil said, give up, give up, give up, don't give in. Cut your umbilical cord and stand on your feet. I don't know if the lyrics is supposed to represent Eric's father or not. That's just the way that I interpret them. I'm a musician that states it's only a hobby. I'm an actor that has performed in four shows in the city and didn't audition for any of them. I have two great comic book ideas, and I have not written an outline or character descriptions for either of them yet. Everything is completed in my head. I just need to put fingers to keyboard and start. I'm still tied to my umbilical cord. I'm afraid of failure because of the childhood consequences of failure. I saw what failure can hand me, and it's a firm hand. Only a few people in my life have seen my dad come out of me. Fortunately, I've never gone as far as him. But my life with him is an albatross of, on my creativity. I'm afraid of my anger, and I'm afraid when I feel it. Most because I step outside of myself, and the only way to step back inside is to run away or to joke about it. My anger is also a fuel for my creativity. The most self-satisfying role I did in college was Limping Man in Footing Mirrors. It's about a man that puts on a sweet face, although it's disfigured, and while on the inside it is only anger and regret. The story of what I'm telling you now is the first step. I have to be honest with myself, and I have to be willing to fail. Hell, I need to use failure to make myself better. I taught myself how to play guitar by continuous failure. Now I need to make myself content with failure. I mentioned earlier that I was going to talk about two songs by Foxy Sazam. The last song in the album is called A Story Told. It's basically talking uh, to you back through the entire album, uh, entire theme of the album. It isn't until the end of the song that you truly understand what the album is really about. And the lyrics are what I'm going to leave you with tonight. I've gone gonzo. How pathetically poetic it is to spoon-feed you the brutal truth. Riding on the tragic thrill, still you gotta have the fun. The memory sticks to me like a dead fly in a rolled up magazine. I swallow my toothpaste. I've come too far to give in. That's how it goes in this life. That's a story told. Who are you? You better ask yourself. Thank you, Adam. That was a wonderful story about how kind of our own personal interpretations can can mean so much when it comes to music. I I actually had the same uh, feeling toward Gonzo that you did when you first listened to it. I did not like it. I promise that if I go listen to it again, I will have kinder feelings towards it. Uh, meanwhile, I also recommend The Church of Rock and Roll by Foxy, Foxy Shazam. That's a very good record. 
So we have one more story before we're going to take a break. This is, uh, I believe, only the second time this has happened in your story's history. We have a dual story from Shelby Mongan and Chris Crotwell. Yeah! Yes. I think it's, it's an A. No. Um, oh, fun fact about that first uh, Alanis Morissette song. Um, multiple lyrics in there about Dave Coulier, uh, who is not as cool as his name implies. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, apparently Alanis was really into him. It's nice to be back. It's a little bit of an experiment. Uh, I haven't tried to do this before. So no. this is a story um, about a weekend we decided to have last summer. See, if I don't get out of Chicago... Every once in a while, I will lose my fucking mind. Uh, I spent 25 years in Alabama with lots of space and not that many people. And every uh, every couple of months, I started to feel really, really boxed in here. So I decided I wanted to go camping. Me and Shelby had only been dating for a little bit, uh, not that long. Um, so it may be a little risky for me to invite someone camping with me. Uh, but something that's true about me, I don't hope that things will go well. I don't have to cross my fingers. I just assume that things will. (laughs) I've been a big denizen of the internet since I was a small child. Many of you have heard stories about that. Uh, And I camped occasionally, but I tend to stick to the indoor, to the couch, to the laptop. So when Chris suggested going camping, I thought it might be a fun trip out of the ordinary. So we found a place about 30 miles north of uh, the city and decided, let's bike there. That's probably not a terrible idea. Because once again, I don't have to hope things will go well. I just can assume that they will. (laughs) So we crossed our fingers and we headed out. Uh, And it started out as a fantastic trip through beautiful, waspy, rich neighborhoods (laughs) with a lovely bike path by Ravinia, by lots of beautiful trees. It was a great, great beginning. Because you guys know that... Just north of Chicago is a giant fairy tale kingdom of white flight. <laughs> it's just, it's beautiful. And for all of that, it was fantastic until you hit this magical barrier where the money runs out. And I think that's right around Waukegan. And it's a reality check. So we pulled off uh, on a little side ravine uh, amidst broken beer bottles and a couple of used syringes. And we tried to decide what we were going to do. Uh, we were frying in the heat, so we decided to get off the bike path and bike down what turned out to be a comically unaccommodating for bikes path uh, down the street, but found our way uh, to a CVS for the world's greatest Gatorade. It was a beautiful thing, and we found our way to the campground. Uh, so Chris, for those of you who might know him better, uh, may know that he has a tendency to be very, very sure he's right when he's not. Uh, <laughs> so after 35 miles of biking we got to the campground and despite my exhausted insisting that the first turn was where our campground was well I was positive that we'd find it eventually <laughs> we were, I just assumed we were lost we, we weren't lost I just insisted we were lost she knew exactly where we were but that wasn't really the point so eventually we got there uh chris was working on getting a reservation set and i thought great the hard part is over so i was lounging under a tree trying to rest this chunky body does not do 35 miles on a bike very well in july heat uh and i was excited because i thought i had made a chipmunk friend a little chipmunk had started walking up to me um 
Unfortunately, that chipmunk was a bastard and bit me in the leg, which, oddly enough, biting turned out to be a theme for me for the rest of the week. Yeah, at, at this point, uh, I'm super upbeat. Uh, I like camping because misery is just a state of mind. Um, and it's really important to be uncomfortable. I think it's important to be uncomfortable. But I hate being uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's also really important to realize that other people have feelings. And, and don't deal with misery the way that I do. So she's very nearly dead at this point. It's very hot, and 35 miles on a bike on gravel trails through Waukegan just got fucking miserable by the end. So we decided to go check out Lake Michigan. Uh, we were excited about being able to swim. We were excited about having a campground on a beach, ironically right next to a defunct uh, nuclear power plant. Uh, but we got out to the beach, and it was a rocky beach. It was a stabby Rocky Beach, with water colder than you could believe. So despite it being like, you know, 100 degrees outside, the water was maybe 33 degrees. Yeah, one of my least favorite things about Chicago is that it does get hot, but you just cannot fucking go swimming here. <laughs> that lake is miserable all goddamn year long. And it's always disappointing to be like, yes, swimming. And then you get right up to your junk, and you're like, I hate everything about this. <laughs> We found our way back from the beach, and we thought, the worst is over. This trip can't possibly get worse. <laughs> we were wrong. The next morning, we decided we were we were ready, and we were going to bike back to Chicago. And then we quickly discovered that my bike had a flat tire. Uh, and being unseasoned bike travelers, we didn't have an extra tube or patch kits or pumps or anything. So we decided, we'll walk. There's a metro station about 10 miles from here. We can walk our bikes. Because It'll be fine. Because you don't have to hope things will go well. You can just assume that they will. <laughs> um, the whole night before, Shelby is hiding in the tent because mosquitoes apparently think that she's delicious. They hate me. They won't bite me at all. So I just, <laughs> I just, I'm just sitting there like gleefully, like poking a fire while she's just like glares out of a sweltering tent the whole time. The biting thing. It comes back. Uh, but so we decided to head out. Uh, we walked through um, some really pretty woods and a pretty trail. We thought maybe this wouldn't be so bad. And then we happened upon a Resident Evil-style industrial <laughs> wasteland uh, in blaring heat, but found our way, and the irony of this name is not lost in us, I promise, to Zion, Illinois. <laughs> Zion, Illinois is a tiny little hellhole. Um, there's just nothing there. And normally when we're out on trips, we like to eat at a local place, you know, it makes it more fun. You get something you can't normally have. So we scout all over Zion, exhausted, sunburnt, hot, and find a KFC. Back to the with air conditioning. So we had chicken fingers and uh, fountain drinks and found our way onto the Metra. Uh, and eventually we got back into the city. We got into Evanston. So the plan was pump up my bike tire, bike home, sleep for three and a half hours, shower, and then go back to sleep. Uh, and... We filled up my bike with air. Uh, about a block later, my tire was flat again. Um, and by this time, we were exhausted. We were way overheated. We were both furious at the world and ready to be home. Uh, so we decided, let's get on the CTA. Just Lovely public transportation. Take the red line. Right. Uh, but it's five, and I don't realize that. So we take our bikes to try to get on the train. You know this already. But you can't take your goddamn bike on the train at five. And I get it, right? Like... I get it. You shouldn't be able to. But at that point, it just seemed unreasonable. <laughs> a, lady, 
a lady cut in front of me while I was waiting to load a transit pass, and I almost said some really awful things. Just barely managed not to. So we're just like, fuck it. Chain the bikes. Get on the train. We're just going to go. fuck go home. Just go home. I just want to be home. We're so hungry. So we just hop on the red line and head back to the apartment. Uh, we found food along the way back. Uh, and as Geiger can attest because he was home when we showed up, uh, we collapsed um, afterwards. So hearing the story, you might think uh, that I would look back on that trip with derision. Uh, I was covered in welts from mosquitoes. Uh, I should never bike that far. Uh, I should really be outside. I should stay in there. <laughs> That's where I belong. I fit well there. Um, I really should look on that trip with derision, uh, but I, I don't. It's it's one of the greatest things I've ever done. Um, I conquered a bike trip I never thought I could. Um, and I managed, in the midst of one of the most challenging things I've ever done, to not kill him. Uh, and I mean that with a deep amount of affection. Um, this was the cleansing fire that uh, the goals of our relationship went through. Um, and we'd only been dating for about three, four months at that point. And it was at that point that I knew, holy shit, I think I'm going to be stuck with this one for a little while. Yeah, I, um, I actually had a really good time. <laughs> like, like the whole time. Um... I had a great time, but I knew, I I knew, I knew that she was super, super miserable. And my take home was, um, I have been on much less stressful trips with people who we I fought with constantly. And I remember getting all the way back to the apartment and being like, oh man, that was a nice weekend. And I thought about it for a little bit and I was like, God, she is a good sport. <laughs> and, uh... Some of you know me better than others, but I think we can all agree, if you know me at all, that what I really need in a partner is someone who's a good sport. <laughs> so, we lear- like, I've learned from him that sometimes keeping your fingers crossed and jumping in, despite my numerous mom protests that that's a terrible idea, uh, sometimes it works out okay. Thank you guys so much. Yeah! That was very sweet and fun. Thank you for sharing. So this is a song that fits the theme uh, in a couple ways because it's this artist's first album breaking from his band. Thank you for uh, your sound effects over this introduction. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, his, it's his first solo album. Uh, it was a very good record, and I think a lot of people would say in the end maybe he made the right choice. This also, the subject matter of this song deals with kind of a fingers crossed thing. Uh, this is from an album called Rock in the Suburbs. And... Uh, as soon as Dwight stops dying, oh, I'm fine. this song is called The Luckiest. Yes. <laughs> I don't get many things right the first time in fact I am told that a lot now I know all the wrong turns the stumbles and falls brought me here I 
where was I before the day that I first saw your lovely face? Now I see it every day, and I know that I am, I am, I am the luckiest. What if I? Been born fifty years before you in a house on the street where you live. Maybe I'd be outside as you pass on your by. Would I know? See one pair that I recognize, and I know that I am, I am, I am the luckiest. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.